By then, like, I don't even know how old he'll be, but would he still be that same Aaron Rodgers? Or even would he be half of that? So when these kids are entering their prime, this guy's on his decline. So is he going to be able to bring the best out of them? I don't think so. So for today, if they want to win today or get as far as possible today, yes, because you got the best, you know, solution possible for today. But when these guys get better season after season, and Rogers is and Rogers is gonna end up being a kryptonite. He's gonna be an anchor holding them back. Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. From iPhones to MacBooks to Apple TV to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more, now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Visit Opulent Inventory on opulentinventory.com and on Instagram. My guy Nash and Gardy are the very best in the game to provide you the Apple product of your dreams. Now, let's get back to the show. studios in Orlando, Florida, in WNSC Radio. Myself, no longer my ride partner today. Mike couldn't be able to be with us today um, so far. But nevertheless, we have a great and special returning guest with us, one of our very own um, that times in with us all the time. This is season four, episode 14 of our great show. We're streaming in 18 different platforms worldwide. Folks, don't forget to subscribe, like, definitely subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. If you do not do that, I am obliged to understand that you are a hater. (laughs) Just about 50 miles west of me out there near the Brevard County, my main man, Donnie Brown, is with us on the line with us today. Donnie, it's a pleasure to have you back. We got lots of stuff to talk about. We're talking from... UConn Huskies winning the national title. We didn't get a chance to have you on on the last couple weeks to discuss about that to your Sacramento Kings. So we'll, we'll just keep it here. We'll keep it here with basketball. But first and foremost, how are you feeling today? Man, I am feeling amazing. I mean, I would have felt a little bit better if my team had got the job done yesterday, but it's fine. I feel like, you know, they're in a great position. You know, I, I explained that in, in a few but other than that, I'm, I'm feeling very, very great. If anything, I'm grateful that you know who is on the court when most people in this position wouldn't be. But, yeah, it's just, it's just so much to talk about, so much great things to go over with basketball in the past two months between college and the NBA that I'm excited. I'm just ready to get to it. No doubt about it. Well, let's get to it. The Connecticut name that you are, talk to us about what the Huskies did. Their fifth national title in 25 seasons. You know, their first since 2014. Um, last with Kevin Hawley, now Dan Hurley era, now is in stores, Connecticut. Talk to me about what it is for UConn basketball, because to me, it feels like they're up there with the upper response when we talk about Blue Bloods, right? We talk mm-hmm. about Kansas, you talk about Kentucky. You got to put Duke in there, of course, with Kevin, rightfully so. All of those teams are blue. Well, you got a dark navy blue team just in the Northeast as well in stores that has got more national championships in the 2000s than any of those schools. So uh, talk to me about what basketball means in the state of Connecticut. Basketball is everything. Um, we don't have a professional team. I mean, we have the Connecticut Sun, I mean, you know, for the WNBA. But, um, you know, that was just, you know, recent in the late 90s. But 
Um, UConn basketball has been everything since um, Jim has, you know, taken the helm. And that's pretty much, even in high school basketball, that's all everyone looks forward to in Connecticut. You know, Connecticut is such a, a small state that if I was to tell people, like, I remember when I was younger, I used to tell people I'm from there or I was born there. And they'd be like, where the hell is that? And I was like, it's, it's basically New York. Just call it New York. You know, and I used, and I used to be ashamed to say that because we have our own identity. We are not New York. They're just our neighbors, you know. So when UConn became a Division One program and started, you know, putting this stamp on it by winning their first championship, now everyone knew where Connecticut was and they knew what Connecticut's about. We are all about hooping. You know, that's that's our life. You know, that's everything that we have to us. We take college basketball very, very serious because that is our professional team, girls and boys. Absolutely. Yep. The Lady Huskies and also the Men Huskies as well. Very much so. Phenomenal. Um, Don, they, they, I think it was six of their seven tournament games. They won by 15 points or more. They had some great guys, Andrew Jackson. Obviously, they have Adama Sanogo, the big man inside. Um, they've got some freshmen coming up next year in Klingon. Boy, Definitely. do we. Uh, you know, they've got one of my favorite players in the country in Jordan Hawkins, uh, who actually ended the draft with Andre Jackson. So talk to me about this team. And what, what differs from other championship teams that UConn has had? That's actually an amazing question, and most people aren't aware of this, but if people that follow UConn basketball or just college basketball in general, they would know that um, Kevin Ali was once a player for Jim Calhoun. And when Kevin Ali took over Jim Calhoun in the you know 2010s, his system was honestly no different from Jim's. Jim made a format. Kevin Ali followed it. You know, Even to the NBA, Kevin Ali even played like it. And for years, we've been similar to Arizona, which is basically we've been a guard-heavy school. And when I say that, I mean that we have a dominant point guard or shooting guard that pretty much run the offense and everybody would work through that guard. Those guards, you know, going from Chris Smith, I know people always think Ray, no. <laughs> if anything, it's with Chris Smith. He's the school's leading scorer. So with Chris Smith, all the way down to Ray, um, uh, Khalid Halamine, uh, who else? Ben Gordon, Kemba, you know, Shabazz, um, even though the list goes on. I mean, I, I literally can go on for days between our guards. And, you know, now we have Jordan Hawkins and Tristan who, you know, transferred over here. But we've always been a guard-heavy school, and most of our guards were average like 18-plus a game for us to be successful. With, with um, Dan, though, it's the complete opposite. He's nowhere near Jim Calhoun. His coaching style is different, and he was never under his tutelage. He is more of the traditional team-oriented coach, which is very weird for me because, you know, as a child, I've seen this team, you know, since the 90s play one type of basketball. And now I see Dan come and put in his new format in, which he's supposed to because that's his bread and butter. But it's, it was very odd and uncomfortable to me. So it just took some getting used to. You know, the first couple of years, it was kind of a struggle, which makes sense for most coaches because those players aren't his recruits. They're not in his system. They're not, you know, used to his style. But now that, you know, two seasons have gone under his belt, a lot of the faces around him that are juniors were people that he recruited. Now, everybody there is all his team, all his format, and you just see it blossom. They're defense first, and everybody plays their part. You know, he's... He knows that in Connecticut, we're not really the type of school until we got back in the Big East that's gotten big name recruits. He's just gotten everybody that's very good at doing their part, which is why we abuse the transfer portal. We know when we got um, Joey, he came from, you know, California. We got Tristan, he came from Eastern Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. And all those guys came in and they bought into the program. And what he's done to gel these guys together by sticking to their strengths has been amazing. That's why they've been an um, offensive nightmare for teams all throughout the season and, you know, defensive nightmare. So, it was just beautiful to see that even though this is a new face and a new format and a new system for the school, the results are still the same, just utter success and domination. Yeah, no doubt about that. You talk about UConn, I think about elite and great superior shooting guards that are elite shooters. Obviously, Ray Allen, one of the best to ever do it. Rip Hamilton, people forget Richard Hamilton is just one of the more underrated college and pro players to ever play when he comes off them pin down screens or those flare screens he's tough to spot so, mm -hmm. so i see the similarities with jordan hawkins's game what do you what do you see next level in the pros with that with that honestly god um i think jordan hawkins is gonna have to go through the same journey that richard hamilton went through um for those who are too young to remember but when richard hamilton got drafted i'm not mistaken he got drafted by the wizards he wasn't like an automatic plug-in starter you know the wizards were pretty bad at the time, which is why they were able to get him, you know, that high in the draft. But they didn't really have a structure at that time. Jordan was still, you know, part owner of that team. And when he jumped on the team is when Richard became Rip. 
when he was able to play with them in 2003 and Rich was able to guard him, play with him in-game and see how the game is played by the, you know, one of the best at the time, <laughs> one of the best of all time at the time, even in his old age. You know, so I think Jordan's going to go through the same learning curve just because of his height. It's kind of undersized for a two, as well as his weight. You know, he's a little bit undersized on both when it comes to, you know, playing the two these days. But um, he will be a very good spot-up shooter. And I think he can be more of like the Kevin Herter type, you know. He got you know. Yeah, I, th- I think he's going to get to that point, but he's going to go through some growing pains in the beginning. It's not going to be automatically jumping off the page, sadly. Because the main reason he was able to thrive so well is just because of the system he's in, you know, at UConn. No doubt, no doubt about that. Let's go from the collegiate game to the pros. Uh, your Kings, your Sacramento Kings, no longer Sacramento Queens, right? Mm-hmm. 17-year playoff drought is officially over. Um, the, the fans have literally bought into the system of this team. Uh, Mike Brown, who's by the first ever unanimous head coach you're well-deserving of him, bought these guys into the system, this culture. The beam is lighting again in Sacramento. Oh, serious lead with these guys. Um, it, it seems as if that, you know, game three was where we all thought that Golden State was not going to go down 0-3. And then, you know, game game five last night, you know, Golden State looked like the desperate team, and, and they knew that. They heard all the noise. They couldn't win a road a road game, a road thing. They were, had road wars. But to me, it feels like that game four, uh, Donnie, was the one that was uh, the one that the Kings – are going to be kicking themselves. That's the one that they, they should have had. This is a team that had the best road record in the West, 25 and 16. Um, they were excellent during the regular season on the road. And that game four, to me, they let that one slip away. Uh, your thoughts about how they go from a 2-0 lead to now a 3-2 deficit? Um, well, the, this all boils down to what Isaiah Thomas said years and years ago. I heard him pretty much chirping on TNT one day. Um, the NBA season is always broken down into two parts naturally, postseason and the regular season. And they are literally polar opposites. How we prepare for the season is nowhere near the way, the same way we prepare for the postseason. The Kings were amazing and great throughout the season. And to the point that, you know, we were the number one scoring team. And truth be told, we've actually been the top three offense, from, even when Luke Walton was, you know, behind the, behind the wheel. The only problem is, is the defensive side was just very, very poor that, you know, just negated. But um, the issue with this is that entering into the playoffs, this is the first time that this ownership, as well as these players, except for Harrison Barnes, have been in a position like this where they have to play the same opponent back to back to back in an atmosphere like this. They're not used to um, playing the same opponent and have this opponent make adjustments to them. They're used to just going with the flow. Because if, if people look back into the seasons, we've beaten the Warriors consistently throughout the season. But in the season, they don't really – no team really makes those type of adjustments because they don't really care. Postseason, it matters. You study your opponent like a book. And Mike Brown knows the Warriors very well, which is why he knew what they would do against him, which is why we were up too well because we were well prepared. The problem is Steve Kerr has now readjusted to that, and Mike Brown has not. And because of that, the results show. You see on the defensive side how the Warriors – have scored in game three, 114 points. Then in game four, 126 points. And then in game five, 123 away. Whereas, you know, it wasn't like that before. The, the scoring more and more because everyone's getting figured out. And mind you, game four, Draymond wasn't even there, <laughs> you know? So it doesn't even matter who the personnel is. The Warriors are able to adjust based off their experience. And the Kings just lack that. They, they very much do like that. So in order for them to get back into the groove of things, they have to pretty much stick with what works for them. And what's worked for them all season is they have the number one record for any away team. So all away games, they have, they're the most efficient out of any NBA team, and that's, that's some good bragging rights. Number two, you're the highest scoring team in the NBA. Hold on to those two things. Stick to what you're good at, and it should help you prevail. But if Mike Brown is not able to adjust and counter to what Steve Kerr has done, then... Unfortunately, it's not going to end up too good for us. And I thought yesterday 
uh, Draymond Green set the tone. He wanted to come off the bench five and said, start me on the bench. Uh, start me on the bench because in games one through three at that point, they were really just, you know, leaving them open. And it was dancing the court. You know, the Warriors are all about shooting, spacing, face the floor for Steph, Clay. We need to be able to run our sets. And they, they run complicated offense. I mean, I'm looking Very. at the plays that they're running. They have a flare and a, they, and a pin down on one side. And then they have uh, one of those uh, head traps that they send to Looney if they double. And then he runs the offense. Now you're playing four on three. So it's a very complicated offense that Steve Kerr have done. And, and, and you have to give kudos to those guys. They've mastered it. I, I think Andrew Wiggins, to me, has been a difference maker in this series. He's averaged, he's averaged eight, between 18 to 23 all five games this, this, this playoff series. And then mm-hmm. Draymond, to me, I think his energy, his effort, his tenaciousness last night, his attitude off the bench gave him a something that I, I didn't think that he could do because at this point of his career, Draymond is, you know, the, the word is, out there is that he washed, he, he can't score like he used to. He can still facilitate and play defense at, at, a, at a very good level. But his offensive punch was the difference maker last night. And, and I thought that, you know, they were – Mike Brown wants this team to play fast. He wants to yeah. look fast and he wants to let them like – he, like he says, he wants to let them things fly. The faster you play and you get out and run, the more of a chance you have because Golden State doesn't have their set defense on you. And that's what Mike Brown wants. He wants them to start on the defensive end and then get out and run and get good looks for Murray, for Herder, for Fox, for Monk. Guys like, even to a certain extent, um, Davion Mitchell, who's done a fantastic job on Curry this season. Um, yes, very much. Just tailing them, just tailing them. Uh, so um, I think a few rights for this kid. I just think again, it's it's the experience factor, like you mentioned. Probably no better unit and no better ball club is better at mid-series adjustments than Steve Kerr's staff. They they one hundred percent. It's kind of like they fill you out the first couple games. They notice what you're doing, and then they attack it. I've noticed games three, four, and five that they're taking away the dribble handoff from Sabonis. That's been killing them. And mm-hmm. the point is that they're letting Sabonis go one-on-one, and if he can beat them. And they're, yep. they're airing them to shoot, or they're going one-on-one and hoping he bullies them. I think if I'm Sabonis, I have to take that personal, and I have to be like, to me, that's disrespectful. I am an all-star. I am the league's leading rebounder. I am a double-double machine. He has to punish these guys inside. He has to. He has 100%. To inside when he gets the seal, and he has to punish them. There's no way you can allow a guy of his caliber to go one-on-one. So I think that's the adjustment that they got to make, and they got to play fast. Right? To get opportunities where the set defense can set so you don't have Gary Payton or Wiggins on Fox where you have mis- where create mismatches and transition, and they can't get back quick enough, you can have opportunities. That's what I'm looking for. 100%. And, you know, just to even tag team on that, um, the other reason Mike Brown has been preaching this, he's actually preached it since the beginning of the series, is, you know, he's been there for half a decade. So he's always known their kryptonite. And the Warriors are, as, as great of a team they are, they're not that defensive monster that they used to be. They're extremely undisciplined when it comes to defense. And, you know, Mike Brown has always been a defensive they first guy. They foul a lot. Yep. They, they, not only do they foul a lot, they foul the most. They are statistically have the highest fouls in the season for the past two seasons. I think about 22, game, 22 fouls a game. And that's not even just counting shooting fouls. So he knows that they're undisciplined when they're sped up and they're out of their pace and not even thinking. Hence why Draymond said, let me come off the bench because he, just like Clay and Andrew Wiggins and everybody else, was put in foul trouble with like seven minutes left. They all had like five or four fouls. It was insane. But that's normal for them. They're okay with that. But Draymond did not want to be taken out the game early, and he knows he gets into that foul trouble when he starts. So if he comes off the bench, he's able to be on the floor a lot longer. Him and Looney can take turns piggybacking and shutting Sabonis out, which is, you know, tagging to what you were saying. When you take Sabonis out of that game when he's at like hybrid – powerful like that Jokic type you know forward in a sense that kind of hurts us that kind of it does it hurts us greatly because we've been working with that that's been our 
our, you know, bread and butter all season. And then on top of that, when you take out our other weapon, which is Herter, Herter's been invisible. I don't think people realize, but like Herter played 16 minutes last night. I think he's averaged like 20 minutes a game. This is someone we traded a first round pick for. Someone that's been literally half the reason why we, we, when we played that Clippers game, we, we scored almost like 300 points collectively. It's because of him and Monk, you know? Herter is averaging, get this, a little, around 20% from three. 20% from three this, this series. 20% and less than 40% from the field goal. He's averaging nine a game. He's becoming a true liability. That is the reason why he's coming off the bench and we can't really depend on him so much. They have destroyed his confidence because they have attacked him out the gate. It is literally those two things you were saying. Take Sabonis out and let's eliminate Herter. So all we have to do is just worry about Fox. Monk has done a great job stepping up. And more importantly, Keegan Murray has done an amazing job stepping up. Yeah, I, this- I agree. Games one through three, he looked a little bit timid uh, he probably hit the rookie wall you play golden state mm-hmm. you see steph and clay and draymond they've got the four rings and you get a little bit nerves you get spooked a little bit but boy game four in 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 san francisco he had a big game game five he backed that up last night i think it's Very gonna much. take that type of effort moving forward and also i'll say this I, I think harrison barnes as the veteran and the leader of this team he started off slow i, I think going into game six he has to be that guy who's won a championship on the current roster that they have now. As a veteran, he has to be the one to set an example, right? He has to set an example by action. Game six, come out and being aggressive early. Not letting Fox and, 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 and Monk and these guys dictate tempo, but I'd like mm-hmm. to see Harrison Barnes as the guy that's won a championship with the Warriors, who has that championship pedigree in an elimination game, be the one to set the example for these young guys and then have Sabonis and Fox and some of these other guys follow. I think he got started off slow last last game in game five. He had his first points in the third quarter. That's not going to cut it if you're trying to force a game seven back. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about that. Jimmy Butler, also known as the Butler, also known as <laughs> Jimmy Django, him, Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Whatever you want to call him, this guy, it, it, I've, I, it's like it's like any anything I've ever seen, uh, Donnie. This guy, there's a transformation from the regular season to the postseason. He nearly doubles his numbers in the regular season to the postseason. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. is unbelievable. It reminds me of uh, Tracy McGrady in 03. Tracy McGrady was part of the Orlando Magic. I thought that year he should have won MVP, but hey, that's a story for another day. He ended up wearing scoring, he won, ended up wearing a, a scoring title that year. They were up on the Pistons three one. They were up on the Pistons three one, heading to Game Five back at the Palace of Auburn Hills. At that time, it was the Palace, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only guy that was that 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 led them to a three one lead was Tracy McGrady. I mean, he was just that good. The Orlando Magic's had nobody, and he willed his team. To a three-one edge, and then of course you know the great coaching that Jerry Sloan—not uh, Jerry Sloan, excuse me. Um, gosh, I can't remember who the. Uh, uh, I know his face. Is it Larry Brown? Not Larry Brown. Um, yes, Larry Brown. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach that Larry Brown did, and, and the great defensive teams that the Pistons were—they made adjustments, and then obviously they ended up winning that series four-three in seven games. Mm-hmm. And same scenario happened here, where it's like. How is it that one man beats you, and, and and you don't do anything about that, Coach? My Coach Budenholzer to me, Donnie, he is stuck and stubborn in his own ways. He refuses Very. to stop playing drop coverage. He refuses to let Drew Holiday, who's an elite defender, this guy is probably one of the better perimeter defenders that we have in the game, if not the. Oh, he's up there. And mm-hmm. he can't guard Jimmy Butler. As great as he is and as great of, as a ball hawk and a defender he is, he's just too small. And <laughs> he refused to put Middleton on him, refused to put a bigger body on him. And to me, this is, as much as, as we got to put the blame on Giannis as well, this is, 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 is all Coach Budenholzer. Eric Spolstra ran circles through him in this series. If you think about what the Heat just did, not only an eight seed beat the one seed, that's only been done six times in NBA history, but 
the fact that Jimmy Butler willed his team to victory. You're talking about a guy who had to facilitate. He had to score. He had to defend your best perimeter defender in uh, a player in, in Chris Middleton. He had to, uh, you know, play make. I mean, the man had to do everything. It was a LeBron-esque series impact. That, and, and that game four was probably one of the greatest playoff games I've ever seen. Uh, definitely from Butler, but it's yeah. up the all-time greats. The guy refused to lose. Jimmy Butler's not a high-volume shooter. He can hit the mid-range. He can hit the fadeaways. But when you start knocking down threes, you don't make adjustment. A guy like that, if he has confidence and he's in rhythm, you got to be able to do something to bother him. And, and I'll say this, the last thing, and this is why I partly put this on Giannis too, both Coach Bud and, 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 Jim, and uh, Giannis. Giannis is a two-time defensive player of the year. He's a two-time MVP, right? Why is he not on Butler? Why, why is he not on Butler? He's a champion. He's a finals MVP. Giannis is, is considered arguably the better, the best. When you talk about impact on both ends of the floor, defense, offense, rim protecting, this guy is probably the best that we have in the league. Why is he not on Jimmy Butler, in the, at least in the fourth quarter, right? If the guy's yeah. going nuts, I understand you can't because of personnel reasons and, and other things, you can't put them all game on him. But in the fourth quarter, in the last seven minutes of the ball game, the competitor that I know that Giannis Antetokounmpo is, he's got to be on Jimmy Butler. He's got he's got to be on Jimmy Butler, and 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 that's on Coach Bud. That's on the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. That's that's on these scouts for not being in his ear about those things, and and you know, you you get this outcome. That that's simply what happens. Take nothing away from them. What the Miami Heat did, they got contributions from. You know, players that we don't even know, but <laughs> had one of those LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Jordan S series impact that ain't nothing you could do. And I think it's partly because of what the Milwaukee Bucks didn't do. But one hundred percent. And you know, it's, it's people that personally know me are going to find this very entertaining because I hate the Heat so much. I've always. For for almost 23 years, I've been a big advocate of, like, F the Heat, just because, oh, my gosh, Heat fans are just crazy to me. But I've always had love for Jimmy Butler since day one just because he's that dog. I've always loved players like him, P.J. Tucker, even Kobe with that type of mentality. Like, I've always loved Jimmy's game. And when he came to Miami, it broke my heart, you know, him and LeBron. But it was always it's always good to see someone like that just be themselves. When I mean be themselves, be exactly what you imagine them to be. When they sur- not only hit your expectations, but surpass it. So we're talking about Jimmy now. Jimmy now has been in the league 10 plus years, certified veteran. And he's guarded any name you can think of, whether it's MVPs, all NBA players, whoever, he's been on them. So nothing is new under the sun against this man, safe to say. And what we've seen is throughout the season, he kind of chilled out a little bit, you know, averaging 23, 6, and 5, a little bit lower than his typical numbers. But he's been more so like, uh-uh, you know, for being honest, you know, he's been he's average- yeah. exactly the Heat as a team have been averaging 110 points a game, which in this season, which is one of the highest scoring seasons in NBA history, that's definitely not going to cut it, which is, explains why they were in the seating that they were in, you know. But Jimmy knew that this is just one part of the season, the real season that matters as long as we get our foot in the playoffs. Because when that playoff time comes, I'm him, I've already proved that in the bubble, I've already proved that in Chicago. You know, when Derrick Rose is out, I've shown that I'm him. And no matter who I'm going against, I'm always going to be him. And it's insane because now we go from averaging 23 a game to 37 a game. We go from shooting 56% during the season, which is already amazing as it is, to taking it a step further and shooting 60% from the field. Who the hell scores 37 a game while shooting 60%? Yeah, that's insane. We go from averaging 35% from three to 45% from three. It's like a light switch. Mm-hmm. And that was with Giannis on him for at least the last two games. I know Giannis has been gone, you know, for the two minutes of game one. So we'll just pretend he was even there. But games one, two, and three, it doesn't even matter because Drew Holiday is there. And Drew Holiday is a great defender. But the problem with, you know, with the Bucks, with, with, I should say Bucks versus Jimmy, because honestly, I'm not counting anybody he. This is literally Jimmy versus the Bucks. The problem with the Bucks versus Jimmy is that the Bucks don't have the personnel to defend. Plain point blank period. The I only agree. reason they were able to win that championship and get as far as they've gotten 
is because they had willing defenders, primarily P.J. Tucker, Giannis, and Drew Holiday, who the three of them fed off of each other. They were able to cause turnovers and cause havoc for the Suns when they, when they played against CP3 and Devin Booker and, and, and the Nets and everybody else that they faced. They were nightmares for all these offensive weapons because it started on the defensive side. But since they've lost those weapons and they've lost willing defenders, it's, it's down the drain. you got people like Jimmy, who's not known to be a scorer like this, but to be an efficient scoring monster and tear them apart. And even when Giannis came back, it's like it really didn't matter to Jimmy because by then the confidence light was already flipped on. And like Jordan already told you, when that confidence light is flipped on, it's like the hoop looks like an ocean and you're flicking quarters in it. You know, yeah. li- like, like literally. Yeah. So, I- and, and, and it's a piece to, you know, what you were saying about Coach Bud. As a championship coach at this point, your job is to adjust. You know, like if you see your stars out, I'm plugging Drew on Jimmy and I don't care. Let everybody else outscore me. The Heat are on the bottom tier when it comes to scoring. So I'm going to force them to be who they're not. I don't care if this tires Drew and he can't run my offense well. I'll have to make some adjustments there. But i rather lose this way than letting someone who's not known to be a scorer all of a sudden become Jordan and LeBron put together. It's insane. And tying back to what you're saying, when Giannis does come back, I don't care if his tailbone still hurts, if his lower back hurts. If you're on the court and we need you to play, you need to stop this person from being him. Because for the past three games, he's activated Hemi. And I need you as my, my two-time MVP and the savior of Milwaukee, I need you to put a stop to that. And the fact that he didn't plug him on him the entire 40, you know, 40 plus minutes in the game is mind-blowing. But and to me, and to me, I, I think I think some ownership has to go to Giannis too. If this was Jordan, this was Kobe Bryant that we know as competitors, regardless what Phil Jackson says. Kobe's going to demand that assignment. Correct. Gordon is going to demand that assignment. LeBron in his prime, you know, he, he would go to Mike Brown. He, he would go to Eric Spolster and say, oh, I got Carmelo. Oh, I'm, I'm guarding Kevin Durant. Oh, I'm guarding Kawhi Leonard or Tony Parker, you know, when they've met up in the finals a couple times. Kobe's saying, oh, I want Ray Allen. I want Rondo. I want Paul Pierce. Or, or I want a guard. Rashid Wallace, or I want mm-hmm. the assignment of going up and stopping Jason Kidd. You, you know, those mm-hmm. you gotta if you're that guy that and we suspect Giannis is that guy. Yes, two-time defensive player of the year, all the metrics, all the numbers say it, right? He despite what Coach Bud wants, Giannis, he has to he has to want that assignment. And mm-hmm. and he has to say, you know, enough's enough. Give me Jimmy, right? Give mm-hmm. it to me. You know, I want to see what he does shooting over seven foot six length. You know what I'm saying? So he has to want that. But go ahead. And uh, some more shocking numbers. Like when I put this into perspective for you, I just want to hear your opinion on it. The Miami Heat during the season averaged 110 points per game, right? That put them, if not mistaken, 30th. Yeah, that was dead last. They're dead last in scoring per game. 110. And that's rounded up, right? This playoff series, they're averaging 124 per game. Yeah. 124. Keep that in mind. That, what differential is that? 14, right? Huge, huge, huge. 14 points. Now, now hear this. Jimmy Butler, during the season, averaged 23 points per game, right? Jimmy Butler, this series, averaged 37 points per game. What differential is that? That's a 14-point difference. That's huge. So isn't it scary to know that you have single-handedly lost to one man? This one human being can take full accountability for that 14-point differential. One person. (coughs) One. One. And you did not stop that one person. Bam did not play any better. Maybe on the defensive side, maybe stuff that you don't see on paper but not, not enough to make a drastic difference in, you know, in the tone of the game. Tyler Hero was hurt. He was out. You know, Gabe Vincent, all these other guys are irrelevant. You know what I'm saying? Struss was up. Everyone's always up and down. But the consistent weapons, they didn't make that much of an impact. Only one human being made the THC singular impact. And you did nothing to stop this person, whether Giannis was there or not. It's disgusting. And you had five chances, five chances to put a stop to him. And you've only done it once. And I was barely. Yeah, that's it's that, mind blowing. I think it's going to be a long off season for these Milwaukee Bucks. I, this is a historical. Only six teams 
have been an eight seed that's beaten a one. It's going to be a long offseason for these guys. These guys, real, they, they, they were the betting odds to win the title. They, they, they were up there. They were up there with Boston, with some of these other teams to win the title, and they lose in the first round and get gentlemen sweep. It's going to be a long offseason. There's going to be questions. Giannis and these guys have to answer. The media is going to come hard on these guys. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Coach Bud uh, was was fired in this offseason. There's going to be some huge, 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 yeah. uh, you know, changes up there in Milwaukee. And and I wouldn't be surprised for it. I would be very surprised if he was fired this offseason, primarily because, A, he's still a great coach, still top 10, maybe even top five coach. He is their only championship coach they've had in almost like, you know, half a century. And this is just two, two seasons. This series is extremely disappointing. I would think Milwaukee would look at this as Bud's, like, last chance before they make that move to say, you know what, maybe a change needs to be made at the head, you know? Because he, all season he's done a poor job adjusting. This series was just <clears throat> the fact that he did not adjust. So if I would, as an ownership, I would give him one more chance to get out of his several ways to make this adjustment. The first adjustment I would make, honestly, is to get rid of um, Chris Middleton. Complete waste of money. I've always felt that way, even when they won the championship and he wasn't there. I've yeah. always felt like he was not that guy. He's not a him. He's not even half of him. You know, he's nowhere near it. He had decent seasons, but he's not worth the money, whether he's defensive or offensive. Complete waste. He's got to go. And then I make my bench a little bit more dependable. So those would be the two moves I would make. No doubt. Yeah, more willing defenders, you know. And then if that mistake repeats itself next season, then now we got to look at the head. And we got to make some adjustments there. Yeah, I think one of their biggest needs is they need wing defenders. And another, and again, what you said, an, a wing score. Get rid of Middleton and try to get flip that for a wing score, but also a 3 and D guy that's a wing defender. You look at their defenders that they have. Outside of Drew, everybody else is old. Jay Crowder is old. Uh, you, you look at George Hill, not the guy that he once was in Indiana or in San Antonio. You look at Grayson Allen. Not an elite defender. Pat Connington gives shows maximum effort, but they, they need a guy that can get a bucket and then also go ahead and play defense. I would look at OG Ananobi as as that as a guy. I, I may, they need some some mass, uh, so that's probably an eye to look out to. But looking ahead to Miami in the second round, now they're going in New York, and in the Knicks to me. Is is it has done something that I didn't see coming. I had the Cavs in seven, and I had the Cavs in seven because I knew that that series would go the distance. Just because I felt both teams were evenly matched, um, I thought the Knicks were just a little bit better defensively, and that's why I thought it would go to seven games. But ultimately, I picked the Cavs because Donovan Mitchell's the best player on the floor, and I thought that in the best player on the series, and in a game seven, he's had maximum playoff series experience and he would take over well the knicks they proved me wrong and did they, they, they did more than that they gentlemen sweep them um jalen brunson showed he was the best player in the series mm-hmm. and now miami has their hands full because they're gonna play a team that is not gonna play drop coverage they're gonna play a tom thibodeau team and tom thibodeau teams they play defense and they rebound at an elite level mm-hmm. so and they do a lot of switching so there, there's bodies going to be thrown on Butler. It will be topping. They're going to see R.J. Barrett, 6'9". You're going to see a little bit of Julius Randle, who's 6'10". You're, you're, they're going to have bodies for Jimmy. And my thing is, is who will guard Jalen Brunson? I, I think in the fourth quarter, he'll probably put Jimmy on him. But th- that's going to be an interesting series. Two teams that really weren't supposed to be here. I think that sets us up for a very, very intriguing Eastern Conference semifinal round. You know, I, I was just, you know, texting some of, you know, some of my friends in the group chat earlier. This is going to be my first time that I'm going to a playoff game. I already said to myself, I haven't been on one in life and I have to go. And I'm so glad that my first one is this one. For everyone that lives in Florida, you know how much Floridians and, you know, Heat fans despise the Knicks. You know, it always circles back to the early days, you know, with Tim Hardaway, Zoe, Larry Johnson, Allen Houston, and everybody going to war. It's not going to be any different this time. Yeah. The Heat are defensive-minded. The Knicks are extremely (laughs) defensive-minded. You got Jimmy the dog, and you got Julius Randle that don't take nothing from nobody. And a lot of people are in the Knicks feed off that energy, too. There's going to be a lot of fighting. I expect majority of these games to be below 100 points. 
Yeah, I agree too. You know what's crazy? The Knicks four wins against the Cavs. They held the Cavs under ninety nine points. This is gonna be a nineties type of fight. It's gonna be yes. a ball crawl. Yep. This is most definitely gonna be that. This is the closest we're gonna get to not only that rivalry, rivalry, but to a nineties type of game. And that's just because of how Pat Riley's gonna operate. like this. Pat Riley, oh, former coach of the nineties with the Knicks, <laughs> with Patrick Ewing and those guys, and then obviously you know. As good as a GM, he's been with the with the Miami Heat. This is his type of series. He, he's gonna mm-hmm. love this. He's, yes. he's, he's he's gonna like this. Yes, I expect a lot of flagrants. I expect a lot of fouls. A lot of pushing and shoving. I expect fans throwing chairs. Like I expect all the worst that you. These two teams are passionate. Both have something to prove. Even both coaches have something to prove. And even on a side note, I forgot to mention. Shout out to Coach Spo. He's now at a hundred wins. And he's one of two um, coaches of color that's in the top five with 100 wins, you know, uh, right next to Doc Rivers. So shout out to him. You know, you know, real kudos to him. Even though I hate the Heat, I always tip my hat to that man for that. And he's just raking them up. So kudos to him. But this series is going to be amazing because I love defensive teams, regardless of the sport. Defense has always been my thing that I'm passionate about because it shows someone that truly cares about the game. And to see these defensive-minded coaches and these players go at it is just going to be a work of art. This and I'm showing true magic. Like, oh, I'm stuttering because I'm so excited to see it. This is going to be very, very fun. And then out west, both of those teams that we figured that would do their job, they did. Denver wrapped up the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves in five games. I'll say this. I think Minnesota, they, they need to go out and get Nick Nurse, all right, champion in, with the Toronto Raptors in 2019 with Kawhi Leonard. With Kyle Lowry and company and Van Vliet and those guys, he is the 2020 Coach of the Year. Um, he's a guy that I think those young guys need, especially the growth of Anthony Edwards, who I think is is a star in the making at age 21. This this guy, he, he's he's a big game performer. We've seen it in the playoffs. For the development of a young team like that, I think Minnesota needs Nick Nurse. So I, I would try to go that that route if I were them. But ultimately, we know Denver wrapped them up in five games. And then the Phoenix Suns beat the Clippers in five in a very disappointing series because of Kawhi Leonard and, and his medical attention and whatnot. Um, so now that sets us up for a one-in-four matchup, the Suns and the Denver Nuggets in the second round. And for Jokic, who's a back-to-back league MVP, pressure's on him. Chris Paul who's, you know, probably walking in the sunset to win a title, pressure's on him. Pressure's mm-hmm. always on Kevin Durant. And, 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 and so this is, is an interesting matchup to me because both teams got players that are under scrutiny and under a lot of pressure. Jokic, you're a two-time league MVP, potentially three-time league MVP. The last time that somebody to do that was Larry Bird, 84, 85, and 86. So if you're really that guy, you got to be able to make it to the finals. Your first ever time that you were an overall number one seed, the road through the West runs through Denver. The pressure's on him. And then pressure's mm-hmm. always on Kevin Durant and Chris Paul. I don't, I don't care what team they are. This yep. is a fantastic matchup. Your, your, your legacies are going to be defined in, in this series. And, and that's, this is what I like about this matchup. So I, I love this matchup, too. And just because I'm extremely curious about it, because the biggest, the X factor for the Suns is definitely going to be KD. Because I feel like Jamal Murray can literally match anything that Devin Booker can do, truth be told. We've seen it in the bubble, him drop, him and Mitchell go at it, dropping 50. He's done 40, if I'm not mistaken, in the last series. Like, get me wrong. But Jamal Murray can put up some buckets too if he has to. And I don't think anybody on the Suns can check him at the guard or even the shooting guard position. Like, he is going to get his. Jokic's self-explanatory. He's going to wash out Aiden, which you don't have to worry about that. So the real biggest X factors that we're really looking at is what they're going to do at the three. Because Denver has Michael Porter Jr., but he's not a KD, you know, but he can still give you a solid 20. So the real issue is because, you know, Phoenix is a willing defensive team, but Denver's always been top in defense. That's what's carried them there. Even when Jamal Murray was gone, Michael Porter was going through surgeries and stuff like that. What's carried them is not just because of Jokic's offense. It's because of their defense, you know. So if they're able to shut everybody down, except KD, because he's, you know, unstoppable, they should be able to seal this deal. So the real thing is when Devin Booker was pretty much averaging, like, what, 50 <laughs> against the Clippers? That's going to have to now transition to KD. If KD can do that, that will be their only chance of winning this series. 
Because if he cannot average, mark my words, Jimmy Butler numbers, you know, 35 plus, they will lose this series for a fact. And it's primarily because their bench that they had when they went to the finals is gone. Their depth is eliminated. They have literally consolidated their offense and their strength to KD. There's no McCall Bridges. There's no Jay Crowder. Like, them boys are gone. So if they don't get that compensation from KD, they will lose this game. I'm sorry, they will lose that series. It's, it's, it's a very interesting series that you make that point because, you know what they say, role players play better at home. And you get guys like Bruce Brown off the bench and guys like Jeff Green who can turn back the clock and play some minutes um, at, at some point. It's going to be an interesting series. My X factor in this series is actually Aaron Gordon. Aaron yeah. Gordon in a 6'9". I know him very well here in Orlando. The, the, the guy has transformed himself as in a very good two-way player. He will get the assignment of guarding Kevin Durant, a challenge that most have failed in. And so he's going to have the guy, he's going to have to be able to not stop him. Nobody has shown and proof that they can do that, but limit him and in, in, in his efficiency in which he scores the basketball. And then the reason why I say he's, he's my X factor is on offense because last year, before Jamal Murray came back and before Jamal Murray became Jamal Murray later on in the season, he was their second best player. He was one of those guys that were knocking on the door as an all-star bid next to Jokic to represent that Denver Nuggets team. who He was averaging about 17 points per game. I think they're going to need an aggressive Aaron Gordon in this series. He cannot, he cannot hide himself. He cannot just be, you know, an ornament just to look good out there and just not be an offensive threat. You're going to have to put up numbers. Jamal Murray will score. We know that Jokic will score. They need to have an, a, a consistent third option. Knights, it may be Bruce Brown. There may be Knights. It may be Michael Porter Jr. I think Aaron Gordon has to be that guy because in, Den- in, in, in Phoenix, they, they've got three-headed monsters. They, they've got Durant. They've got Booker. Those two are constant. And some nights, it's Aiton. Some nights, it's Chris Paul. So mm-hmm. they need to have a consistent guy. And Aaron Gordon, to me, is going to be important in this series on both ends of the floor. He's going to have the assignment to try to slow down Durant. And then on offense, he's going to have to be able to slash to the basket, being able to be disruptive, getting in the paint, finishing. He's going to have to be able to make wide open looks when they send two or three to Jokic or two mm-hmm. to three to Jamal Murray. I think he is my X factor in this series. If Denver wants to remotely be a contender that – they, they, they really think they are. This is a huge challenge for them. They're going to have to be able to have Aaron Gordon step up and step up in a big way. So I'm, I'm looking for him to, to do something. But I do agree with you. I think Denver's bench is a huge spark just because they have guys in that system that Mike Malone has that they trust that can come in the ball game and not lose the Jokic or Jamal Murray minutes when they go on the bench. Yes, 100%. And that's actually who my X Factor was for Denver side was Aaron Gordon. And maybe a tad bit Michael Porter, but not really much of an X Factor because we know what to expect from him. But we need Aaron Gordon to be the Orlando Magic Aaron Gordon. Last series, he averaged somewhere around 13 points per game. And we had Michael Porter who averaged 16 points per game. And both of them shot 50%. Both of them reeled in seven rebounds a game. If those two can play just a tad bit better, like maybe if we can get a solid 20 for Michael Porter, which is going to be hard knowing that KD is going to be on him. But no one is going to be able to check Aaron Gordon. So if he's able to give us 15-plus, you know, maybe 18 here, 15 there, there's no way the Suns are winning this series. Because I don't – like I said, I don't think Aiden can give you an even consistent 20-a game against Jokic. I'm not saying he's the best defender, but Jokic is above average, you know. He's not going to be able to do that every single game, night in, night out, especially if you have the likes of Devin Booker and KD shooting the ball to his flat. So if I'm looking at it from Denver's perspective, I see that we're the most efficient team in the um, between the two of us offensively, and we are the better team defensively. So we just have to be ourselves. Just continue to be efficient and shut everybody down except KD. Let this man average 60 points a game to beat us. If, yeah. he, can, if he knew that, then, hey, they got it. But we can stop everyone else but him. So let's just shut out everybody but him. Let him be him. And I think another thing, too, Two, two other things that I just thought about for both teams. Um, for Denver, they're going to have to make a decision. 
they like to play the the traditional drop coverage. You know, Jokic is not the guy that can really rim protect. He's not the best covering perimeter guys in space. So Mike Malone likes to play that drop coverage um, there. You're going to have to make a decision because if you're playing drop coverage against Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul, who likes to operate, those three guys to me are the best trio when you talk about the best trio of players in that elbow line and that uh, mid-range line. Those guys are deadly in the mid-range. You're asking yourself, you might as well give up the series. Drop coverage will not work. If Durant Booker comes off the screen and they see daylight, they're they're pulling up and nine nine times out of ten they're making that. So I think they're gonna have to make a decision. Maybe do some sort of I don't know if they're gonna go zone. I don't know if you're going to probably go man. They're 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 gonna have to make a decision because Booker and, and Chris Paul and and uh, Kevin Durant they can't live in the mid range line and just on drop coverage. So that's something that brings up to my attention. And the other thing, I think the expected for the Phoenix Suns, the reason why they won 64 games last year was because they had a bench. Mm-hmm. And primarily Cameron Payne and Landry Shamit, they were deadly coming off the bench last year for those guys. Shamit is back, and there's word that Cameron Payne is starting to start shooting and, and, and start getting five-on-five reps. If those guys can just replicate what they did for the Suns last year that were deadly for them on their bench because combined they were there's <laughs> combined they were like 25 30 points um you know averaging you know per game but that's yeah that's a large sample size five I think that bodes well for Phoenix so I think that I would that those two guys in particular are my X factors but I, I think Denver they're going to have to make a decision on on worst opponent you want to play that type of coverage against. So uh, very much to watch. They're, and then, but the piggyback what you're saying, they're not going to play drop coverage. And primarily because the offense that the Suns have run that's been successful with them, that's gotten them to the finals, is horns. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with horns, it's basically like running two screens. Um, you, have a, you have your big and you have your power forward. Sometimes you're three would be on the elbows of the free throw line. And it's basically two screens that a player is running in and out of. So the guard now is bringing out the ball. He can go left, he can go right. And you're running, you're constantly just running into a brick wall as a defender. They're dragging you and stretching you out as much as possible. And they're forcing the defense to make a decision. Either roll with the ball, roll with the screener, or roll with the open man that just, you know, just came behind you. So it's a lot of moving parts, but it's either one, um, three people on the left moving or three people on the right moving. The way to make this effective is if you have a great decision maker at your point guard, which they have the best, Chris Paul. You have an amazing shooting shooting guard, which they do, Derek Booker. And the X Factor, if you have a good rolling center, which they have with DeAndre Aiden. Now, if you put a little sprinkle on top and you put a Kevin Durant in it, it's a nightmare. It means four out of the five can literally shoot anywhere they want. It is a nightmare. So how you play defense against something like that is this constant switching, immediate switching communication the minute it comes up you have to play tight on everybody and hands have to always be in the face because if not you're going to see a lot of open shots and it's going to be a lot of confusion like how is he open how is he open and they don't change out of it it's constant horns either horns high horns low left right it's always the same way so they're definitely not going to go with that typical scheme of dropping back because if they do then they're just going to lose by making them shoot 23 of the game so i think the biggest x factor for them is just playing tight communicating together and just, you know, sticking to the script and being themselves. And they should get the job done. If not, then we're going to see the Suns in the finals. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. Keep in mind, these uh, the Suns in their finals run two years ago, they played these Denver Nuggets in the first round, in the second round, too, and swept them. So we'll see if the Denver Nuggets learned anything from those uh, past experiences uh, there as well. Um, so that's going to be fun to watch there. That wraps up segment one of our episode but folks do not go anywhere because when we come back we're gonna go to the gridiron we're gonna go to the nfl the nfl draft is tonight we'll get donnie's thoughts about you know rogers hitting broadway now he's a new york jets and much much more the sebi podcast radio show live and streaming here on wnsc radio
And we are back here on our segment segment here on our show. Folks, don't forget Opulent Inventory. Opulent Inventory from Apple products, from MacBooks to iPhones to trade-ins to Apple TV and much, much more. My guy, Nash and Gardy, are the very best in the game. Promo code PODCAST. That's right. Promo code P-O-D-C-A-S-T gets you 20% off on your Apple product. Nash and Gardy are the very best in the game. Opulent inventory where you can find the Apple product of your dreams. We're back here on the second segment here with my main partner, Don Brown. Today, we've got the NFL draft. And just six hours from now, Donnie, we're going to have the Carolina Panthers on the clock. It's going to be very interesting. It's, I guess it's, it's regarded as a very deep quarterback-heavy class. Very deep defensive line class is going to be very, very interesting. Anything that catches your attention that you have your eyes on? So I'm looking out for the big trades, to be honest with you. And um, right now, the Panthers, they, from what we see on a lot of the mocks, they have Bryce as, you know, being one of their guys. I, I love the kid's game. I feel like he's a great leader. Uh, I think he has a very good arm. But at this point, I don't think the Panthers are going to develop their quarterbacks. You know, if they're not it, it's just not, you know, going to go well for them. It's not even just quarterbacks, but any position for that matter. Primarily defense, they're okay at. But I don't think they're very good at developing quarterbacks. I think at this point, especially after making that, you know, big trade that they did by giving up their wide receivers, um, not wide receivers, but DJ Moore, they should just go after somebody that's already well-seasoned and pretty much good to go. Someone like, you know, Brock Purdy, you know, get him for cheap. The, the, the 49ers are on the fence of what they want to do with Trey Lance or Brock Purdy. They've invested so extremely heavy to Trey Lance that they're pot committed and they're kind of feeling a little remorse to let it go. And they're just, you know, letting the, both of them fight it out for the starting position. Solve that problem for them. Go after Brock. If not, go after Trey. Someone that already has that season experience where you don't have to waste a first-round pick on, you know. And then you could use that to build weapons around him. Because if you get Bryce, you're just going to put him in a lose-lose situation. Because who's he throwing to? The water boy? So, <laughs> I think that, you know, I think that's going to be the best bet for them. Let's make smart, tactical decisions instead of just keep gambling all the time, season after season. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. you got the Texans there at two. They want a quarterback. The Colts at four. They want a quarterback. Is, uh, out of these quarterback class, guys, which one do you trust the most? C.J. Stroud. You hear Anthony and, uh, Richardson from Florida. His name is popping up. Will Levis from Kentucky. Out of these guys, which one do you trust the most and has the highest upside for Pro Bowl or maybe star potential? The one that I trust the most, honestly, uh it's, it's a tie. I, I would say Bryce primarily because if you're coming out of Alabama, you already know what winning is. You know everything that Nick Saban's about and the system that Nick Saban runs, it does transition well into the NFL. There's not many Alabama quarterbacks that have transitioned over there that failed. So you know if you get a Bama quarterback, you're not really going wrong. So my money is going to be on Bryce Young just because of the system that he's coming out of. But as far as like the talent and longevity, I'm definitely going to go with CJ. CJ looks like the best bet you know, put in the right system, put him in the right place. He has the athleticism. He definitely has the accuracy. He's definitely efficient, makes good decisions under pressure. So you really can't go too wrong with him. But if it's just a matter of a preference, you know. But my safe bet, always get a Bama quarterback, and Bryce would be my pick if I was a franchise looking for a new quarterback. System really matters. A system really matters to me most in this sport than any other sport. In basketball, you can buy players. You, you can go out and get um, – you go out and trade for somebody, go out in free agency and grab somebody, orchestrate a team to make it. System really matters in football. It really matters because you've got 53-man roster. You've got coaching staffs. You've got uh, players. You have to be able to have the right personnel in your system to really play how you want to play. And it all starts in, in draft night. So it's going to be very interesting. 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, it's these kids – should I say the, their their lives change, right? They they immediately mm -hmm. go from nil deals to millionaires and multimillionaires moving forward. Set their families up for success for for the future. It's going to be unlike any other, an unreal moment for these kids, and it's going to be definitely something that they're not going to forget quite like that in their lifetime. Um, I, I want to focus on the NFL, and obviously the biggest news that sent shockwaves around the NFL or America, the four-time league MVP, Super Bowl 45 MVP champion, Aaron Rodgers, 
the longest, one of the longest tenured Green Bay Packers now going to the Jets. And what does that mean for New York and Broadway, right? New York hasn't won a title since Joe Namath, 1969, Super Bowl three, right? Roger mm-hmm. said that, that Super Bowl right there that they have in New York, you know, framed up, it, it looks a little lonely. So that's, that's big <laughs> expectations now. So he's coming to a team that has already has an elite defense, top five, top 10. They've got a running game. And Rodgers had some recommendations. You want to trade for me? Bring me some weapons. They went out. They got McCole Hardman from Kansas City. Went out. They brought his buddy from Green Bay, Adam Lazard. They got the rookie of the year, offensive player rookie of the year, Garrett Wilson at wide receiver. So all of a sudden, the Jets, that was so-called the laughingstock of a franchise that they were for so long, all of a sudden might be ready to contend with Miami, with Buffalo in the AFC East. You never can count out Bill Belichick and the Patriots, but all of a sudden now they they look like a a real team. And so is Aaron Rodgers the missing puzzle to completing and reinventing Broadway again? Joe Namath, because if Aaron Rodgers wins in New York, he's a superstar. He's a legend forever. You win in New York. (laughs) That's the mecca. So oh, yeah, uh, it's it's gonna be interesting. Your, your thoughts on that? In Rogers to the Jets, he's the answer. It's yes and no to that. Because let's not forget, Aaron Rodgers is literally on the twilight of his career. It's about time for him to wrap it up, you know. And the Jets have done an amazing job piecing together a great team. Whether it comes to Sauce, even Brees, you know, and even Sauce getting that man, yeah. yeah, even getting James Robinson help back him up, or maybe James Robinson might get it together and become the starter. Who knows? But they have these weapons. Even Garrett Wilson, they have all these weapons on both sides of the ball. But the spearhead to that is is old. And they don't need old. When you have all these weapons around you that are basically like 23 years and younger, you need youth. They need to grow together. That's how dynasties are built. They're, they're meshed together. If you swing it back to basketball, look at Steph, look at Clay. They're almost like a, one or two seasons apart from each other. Hence why the dynasty was almost a decade long. You can't have somebody like Aaron Rodgers who's literally, when his rookie year, these kids were in kindergarten, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really add up because as time goes along, everyone knows the average receiver, especially even the DB, they get in their prime in their third year. So is Ann Rodgers going to tag along with the Jets between now and 2020, what, six? By then, like, I, I don't even know how old he'll be, but would he still be that same Aaron Rodgers? Or even would he be half of that? So when these kids are entering their prime, this guy's on his decline. So is he going to be able to bring the best out of him? I don't think so. So for today, if they want to win today or get as far as possible today, yes, because you got the best you know, solution possible for today. But when these guys get better season after season, and Rogers is, is going to end up being a kryptonite. He's going to be an anchor holding them back because he's not going to be able to give them that same performance and execution as the old Green Bay and Rogers would. They're going to need to have to drop him and replace him. But when they do that, now they got to build that tenure up all over again. So if their goal is to, like I said, you know, get the ring today or get as far as possible today, then yeah, you made a great short-term decision. But in the bigger picture, it's bad. It, it, this is not the move. Not at all. Not an investment that the, the Jets should make. But what's realistic expectations for the Jets this season? They're in a conference where Aaron Rodgers goes from arguably being the best you know, quarterback in his conference to a conference that features Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, that features Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, the, the, Deshaun Watson. The list goes on. The AFC is unlike the NFC that Rodgers pretty much lived his entire career in Green Bay. What's real expectations this year for the Jets? Realistic expectations is that they make it to the division in the playoffs, the divisional um, series, and they lose there. They don't even smell the AFC championship, primarily because of what you're just saying. The AFC championship has the elites of all the quarterbacks, all these weapons. And the one thing going against Aaron Rodgers in this case is all these elite quarterbacks are young, you know, and make it, they were drafted by their team. So the tenure is there, you know, at this point in time, when it comes to the Chargers, when it comes to the Ravens, the Chiefs, you know, they're building, they're adding weapons to their quarterback. They're supplying their quarterback, you know, <clears throat> not the Jets. The Jets are taking a step back. You know, they're trying to build tenure when these playoff teams already have it. You know, even especially the Bills, if I got to include, you know, Josh Allen in the mix. They're just trying to figure out their little speed bump to get them them over that hurdle. So these, like, top teams are already light years ahead of the Jets. 
talent-wise, the Jets do match them. They do match the Chiefs. They really do. But the problem is there's a gentleman over there named Patrick Mahomes who does not know how to lose. It's very annoying, you know? This guy always figures out a way to get it done. And if by some miracle the Jets are able to bump into him in the AFC Championship, I highly doubt that someone like him is going to lose to an ancient Aaron Rodgers. Plain and simple. Big words, big words there for uh, Donnie there as well. That actually winds down our episode for today. Any last words, any last thoughts, uh, uh, Donnie, before we close? So the, the last words I have is I need everybody, you know, circling back to you and recapping everything. I need everybody to just put some respect on UConn's name, man. Like once and for all, we are literally one of like three schools that we're, we're top five in championships. The other schools that have the five is Indiana and they haven't won <laughs> in about 30 years, you know, and then like right behind us is Duke and we can okay say that. But other than that, we are the elite when it comes to male and females. You got our ladies, they have 10 plus rings. We have five and on average every five years since we've entered division one. And all those other schools that are top there, they've been in Division One for 75 years. We've only been in Division One for like 26. We are it. We are him when it comes to college basketball. So put some respect on our names. This NBA playoffs, honestly, guys, it's now that we've gotten out of the nonsense rounds, is going to be the best playoffs we've seen in a very, very long time. I hope everybody stays tuned to them and just enjoy beautiful basketball, whether it's a defensive game with the Knicks and Heat or a great offensive and defensive balance with the Nuggets and the Suns and so on and so forth. So Everybody just enjoy while it lasts because when summer comes around, <laughs> we know how that goes. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. Probably the most wide-open playoffs that we've seen in quite some time. It's going to be very, very fun to watch there as well. We want to say so long for you guys until next week. The Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live and streaming here only on WNSC Radio, streaming on 18 different platforms worldwide, ratings, review, and much, much more. We'll see you guys next time. Hey everyone, we're excited just as much as you guys tonight If you enjoyed this show And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well If you want to show your appreciation for the show Ensure that you leave us a rating and a review In our iTunes and Spotify And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.